When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. All right, what's up? What's happening? Uh, We are back live on YouTube with breaking news for the second time this week. This time, not because the commanders don't have a head coach, it's because they do. Uh, Craig Hoffman, as you likely know, because this is this is my channel. That's Mitch Tischler uh, from the Beltway Football Podcast with J.P. Finley, and uh, they do such a great job over there. So if somehow you know about uh, my show and my podcast and everything that I do, but you don't know about the Beltway Football Podcast, I don't know what's wrong with your algorithm, but let's get that fixed. Make sure you go subscribe to J.P. and Mitch over on the Beltway Football Pod. Uh, Mitch, we have a coach. It's Dan Quinn. Dan Quinn is the higher, uh, the fan base. It, it's so funny, man, because so we do the segment on our show on Wednesdays on the radio show uh, called Never Read the Comments. And when I put that video on YouTube yesterday, I used the title, Is the Commander's Fan Base Having a Meltdown Over the Commander's Coaching Search? To which half the the comments on on that video were, yes, Craig, we are having a meltdown. I don't think this news is going to help, but let's put that aside for the moment. Let's put the narrative aside. You, Mitch Tischler, someone who has covered this football team for a long time, who knows the game extremely well, what do you think of this hire? I think the hire can be good. I'm not going to say it's a slam dunk hire, but I think he has experience, which I think is something important. I think as folks are frustrated because he's a quote-unquote retread defensive guy, they think of Ron Rivera. The biggest difference is Quinn doesn't have player personnel control, which was a huge problem with Ron and everything that he did. If you look at the staff that Dan Quinn put together uh, in Atlanta, it came with Kyle Shanahan. It came with Raheem Morris, and he built it out from there. There were, you know, the the famous Redskins graphic with all the head coaches that were on there. You could do that graphic with the Falcons, too. LaFleur was there on the defensive side. Both LaFleurs were there. Right, both LaFleurs were there. On the defensive side, there were other DC guys who have been DCs and are currently DCs around the league. So he's a guy who knows how to build out a staff that, you know, is ultimately successful. And then when you look at the X's and O's, to me, I'm not saying, not schematically wise, but just big picture wise, when you look at 
you know, his defenses in Dallas, all, all commanders fans have been yelling about is wanting turnovers, right? It wasn't good enough when the commander's defense was top 10 and not getting turnovers. Well, look at what Dallas did last year. And then look at the way that Dallas uses Micah Parsons and moves them all around the defense and gets creative. And yes, they give up a lot of points, but they also get game changing plays, which is something that the commanders haven't had. So I, I'm okay with the higher. It's not, you know, a slam dunk, but I think that it has, I think it has a lot of potential to be successful. I totally am with you. I think Dan is a guy that has proven he can build a culture. He's proven that guys will run through a wall for him. Like the motivation stuff is all there. And I realize, yes, that is what some people said about Rivera. I think Quinn has accomplished that on a completely different level. I'm also pretty fascinated by the mix of remaining talent, albeit slim here in DC and Dan Quinn. Because I think you're 100% right that his defenses have, going back to the Legion of Boom days, been super aggressive and great at forcing turnovers. And, by the way, those Legion of Boom defenses were not necessarily filled with all first-round picks. Like Guys like Richard Sherman, he developed. Cam Chancellor developed into Hall of Fame caliber players. So, you know, again, you don't need it to all come from the highest of draft capital, although the commanders do have excellent draft capital to use, but what's the complaint, right? The complaint is that they are thin and light and that you can run on them. Well, now he inherits a defense that up the middle, incumbent has John Allen, Deron Payne, and Jamin Davis. So the personnel here looks very different than what he's done in previous stops, and especially in Dallas, where that has been the Achilles heel. And I think to tie that all together, Mitch, what's fascinating on the defensive side is, and we can get to the offense, which is the biggest question at the moment, but on the defensive side... Um, you know, he has shown an ability to evolve the cover three, like just incredible standard bearer defense that he had in Seattle that was then copied around the league is not what he runs in Dallas. Like he has taken some from the Fangio trees, taken some from different trees. He runs a lot more too high shells as the, the game has changed. So he has shown an adaptability over the years that I think is fascinating and I wonder if he's going to be able to fix the things that he would have fixed had he continued as the DC in Dallas here. And actually the personnel helps him with that and continue to grow and evolve and, and have that kind of eye of where the game is going in a way that has helped him be a part of a ton of winning as a DC and even some as a head coach, even if it fell off the end in Atlanta. Yeah. I mean, you look at the the Cowboys defensive lines, just the, just the D line, because that's been such a big story around here. They've been able to get pressure regularly bringing just four guys and part of that is twists and stunts part of that's talent but he's able to move guys around and get advantageous matchups which is something that was too foreign for Jack Del Rio and uh and uh and Ron Rivera there they never they would never move guys around to try and try and take advantage of you know where they where they have the where they have you know matchup advantages but imagine if Kyle Shanahan runs the ball in the second half of that Super Bowl and they win, and they win the game. I mean, they were up twenty-eight to three, and yes, they they blew it and lost, and it was to you know Tom Brady and you know one of the greatest you know teams quarterback coach tandems ever. But we're looking at this completely differently if his OC just runs the dang football. If they run the right. ball in the second half, there, Dan Quinn's a Super Bowl champ, and we're talking about a guy who had a tough end of the end of the run in Atlanta, but was able to rebound and and pick himself back up by the bootstraps. Go to Dallas, reinvent himself, create a, a winnable uh, team, a defense with a winnable, you know, system, and all of a sudden, everyone's a lot more excited about this. And so, I, listen, I understand it's not Ben Johnson. I understand it's not the young up and comer offensive coordinator. It it makes that offensive coordinator decision, you know, the most paramount hire that that they're going to make now. But 
to me, if you trusted Josh Harris and, and Adam Peters, that they were going to make the right decision and you're excited about these guys being here and the process and they went about, you know, being thorough and, you know, all those different things, then give them the benefit. Of, to me, I'm giving them the benefit of the doubt for now and we'll see how things work out. But I think what we're looking at right now, what they do on the offensive side of the football really, really matters right now. And it's going to be interesting to see kind of what direction they go there. Yeah, totally. And I think that if he could go play that Super Bowl back again, like Dan Quinn would get on the headset and tell Kyle to run the freaking football. Like, that's the thing, right? Do you, This is my big question about this, and then we can dive into the offensive side. But, like, part of Ron's issue was he never properly identified what was actually wrong, right? His He tried to run it back the same way in Carolina, or in Washington, that he did in Carolina. And then he leaves Washington, gives the interview to John Kime, and says a bunch of stuff that had nothing to do with the reasons that he failed. And I'm not saying that to beat up and pick on Ron. It's just, like introspection doesn't work if you don't actually do the introspecting right. right. Like if you don't find the right problems, you can't fix them. I have a lot better faith in Dan Quinn to have identified what went wrong in Atlanta and fix it. And he's talked about some of this stuff. And I'm really excited to do take command with, with Logan tomorrow and dive a little bit deeper into uh, the conversation that Logan had with DQ. Cause and as Logan has said, like he, Dan called Logan was like, dude, what did like, what, what do you think? And I'm assuming that there were maybe a hundred other calls if Logan got one as a guy who was there and was a veteran in the league, but like Logan was with Dan for a year in Atlanta. So, you know, what is it, what does it look like, you know, once you've had a hundred of those calls from different players and can you sort through that information and fix it and be more assertive where you need to as a head coach, make sure your personnel is more in line. And by the way, we talk about the setup here being different for Ron than it will be for Dan Quinn. Dan Quinn had a lot of personnel control in Atlanta as well. He will not have Correct. that here. So one of his pitfalls has already been taken away from him. Okay, to the elephant in the room. Well, real quick, just yeah. you talked about Logan. I, you know, I think the most important thing that Logan has said all along about Dan Quinn is that he was excited to come to work every day and loved, you know, loved playing for him and, and being in the building with him. And I think that's important because you can listen to the players and their, you know, exit interviews at the end of the season this year, and honestly, even last year, if you kind of read between the lines a little bit, and that wasn't the feeling. Players loved Ron as a dude, as a guy. He was their yeah. he was their buddy. He was you know really good at, at connecting with them on a on a personal level. If things but went wrong a, in their life, he was going to call them all that. Right. Stuff. There's a big difference between being friends and being a good football coach. And he did a really good job of connecting with them on a personal level. Clearly, did not connect on a football level. And you know, for all the Ron Rivera 2.0 stuff like this, you know, he didn't coach for 95 percent of the time that he was there. Ron had his priorities in the wrong place when he came to Washington. He did a really good job, culture, all that stuff, you know, that needed to change. I think a lot of that changed with Dan, you know, whatever. But he's a football coach, and he didn't do a lot of football coaching. And while they have similar resumes and things look similar, to me, that's a big part of why they're not the same person. No, Dan Quinn is coming here to be a football coach, which is which is exciting. Okay, the offensive side of it. This is critical. Now, I will say it's just as critical for Dan Quinn as it would have been for Mike McDonald. It just as critical uh, for Ben Johnson had he wanted the job to build the infrastructure so that he could be that OC. Now, I am not be trying to be obtuse here. It is really, uh, it is more difficult, and there's a reason that I wanted an offensive coach if, if all other things were equal, to build that long-term relationship between coach and quarterback when your OC is not your head coach because if that guy is super successful, 
he will get hired and ultimately, you know, if, if whether it's Clint Kubiak or whoever else, if that guy gets hired as a head coach and then you got to figure out who the next one is, that is the problem that DQ ran into in Atlanta. He had the foresight to hire Kyle Shanahan. Great. He then did not keep that foresight in elevating Matt LaFleur. He hired Steve Sarkeesian. Things go downhill. Eventually, he and Dirk Cutter, his third OC, get fired five games into his final season as they are 0-5. So, early thoughts on the OC hire, either general or specific, Mitch. I'll start with kind of big picture. My biggest issue this entire coaching search has been people talking about being worried about an OC being poached from this staff if they're, you know, if they hired a defensive guy. Can you name me the last coach that was poached from a Washington Redskins football team commander staff? Uh, yeah, Sean McVay, who was poached from under an offensive coach. Who who was given, who was, who was offered opportunities, but didn't want to, didn't want to usurp what Jay Gruden was doing there. But the point being that it, it doesn't happen very often in, in Washington. And it's a good problem to have because they're not poaching some guy who's, you know, just a guy. He's had he's gone out there and been successful. So big picture, I, I think that worrying about a coach being poached before he's even been hired is the wrong way to look at it. And you can look just up the road to Ben Johnson in Detroit. He could have been poached two years in a row. He decided to stay. And OCs are getting more and more money every year to stay. Bobby Slowick got his new contract. I mean, the NFL is an ever-evolving thing. And to worry about what's happened in the past that's going to happen three, four years now from the future, I think is not the right way to look at it. Now, when you look at who the new OC is going to be, I, I mean, there's it's it's because they've been so late in hiring the head coach, there have been a lot of uh, offensive coordinators that have already been hired. Um, Raheem brought uh, Zach Robinson down to Atlanta, <laughs> and uh, I think he's going to be – I think he's a future star. Um, it'll be interesting to see who they bring in. I know there are some young names. you got some names down in uh, – in Miami and over in uh, yeah. over in uh, San Fran, who are going to be you know up up on the list. I wonder if a guy like Frank Reich might be in play because you know he's he's been yeah. around the league for a while and it doesn't matter for anything. But obviously went to University of Maryland, so you know knows the area a little bit and 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 has that connection. Um, it's going to be it's it's important that they nail the OC hire because you can't this can't be a miss. No, there's so Miami is an interesting spot for me to go look at because I am pretty stunned that Frank Smith, the OC in Miami, didn't interview. I mean, maybe he got one or two interviews. Maybe I think Carolina gave him a call uh, to be their head coach. But like that was a guy that I thought would be high on the commanders list as potential head coach. And because Mike McDaniel calls the plays down there, could they poach Frank Smith? Like that, that to me is an interesting one to watch as a potential OC. It does seem like there's already early smoke. And like, let's be very clear. Dan Quinn has been working on this. Dan Quinn, when he interviewed with the commanders was asked, who do you want as your OC? And he had, you know, probably not like a, Hey, it's going to be this guy, but he probably had a list of three to five guys. And very quickly, whether it's the agents or whoever that list is getting to Nikki and JP and Kime and everybody that does the reporting still. Uh, so that, that, you know, Clint Kubiak name seems very obvious. You know, we've seen a couple of names on defense, uh, Whitfield, I think is the, is the guy's name. Uh, who's going to probably be the DC, uh, who's currently like the passing game coordinator on the defensive side in Dallas with Quinn down there. Um, there's already talk of, of a couple of, you know, Al Harris potentially coming here as the defensive backs coach. So we'll see 
if how, how much Dan Quinn can bring from that Dallas defensive staff, staff. But offensively, I think there are good options. And Adam Peters' connections to San Francisco, that Kyle Shanahan tree, DQ, is, you know, offensively, like that's the tree he's probably going to pick from. And there are great options. And I think the thing that makes that tree so good is they know how to work. And I don't just mean like, oh, they their nose to the grindstone, work hard. They literally know like efficiently how to get the job done and what it is that are looking for in players and other coaches. So I, I think that the cohesiveness of this staff is going to be better than basically anything we've seen in Washington with any, uh, you know, any recency. Uh, you're not going to have the the J. I mean, even on Jay's staff, where like there was some good offensive years, like Bill Callahan butted heads with everyone, um, and sometimes it was good, but eventually that wore down on people, and and people left, and things blew up. So I think there's going to be a cohesiveness, and because so much of the league runs this kind of either Shanahan McVay West Coast version or their version of this West Coast offense, there are a ton of options for them to pick from. Yeah, I, I mean, I, you look at Dan Quinn has been a head coach, obviously, in this league, and I, I think he, he has the confidence that he can bring in, you know, a, going back to like Jay, when Jay Gruden was there, there was some hesitancy to bring in a really good defensive coordinator with head coaching experience because then, you know, Jay, there, there's a path to getting rid of Jay and going to, you know, the, going to the next guy. I like the fact that Quinn is – a veteran and a guy who's been there, done that, and is not going to have that, you know, chip on his shoulder or that or that concern. And you know, at the end of the day, you have a, you know, he the offensive. It's still an appealing offensive situation because you have all these draft picks and you have the young guy to develop, and it's a good way for a up and comer to put their stamp on a on their resume. You know, being able to develop, you know, the number whoever the number two overall pick ends up being, assuming assuming that it's quarterback. And so, uh, you know. We can. There's not a ton of you know. There's not a ton to talk about offensively until they until they bring their guy in. Um, so I, I, I'm just sitting here, kind of biding my time and and seeing kind of where they where they where they go with this because I don't want to see him run back. You know, bring in run back it with uh, with one of the older guys. Even though you know Frank Reich's the name I brought up earlier, I, I want uh, a young and upcoming guy. Yeah, I wouldn't mind a senior offensive assistant somewhere in the staff. And shoot, I don't, you know, if if it's Clint and his dad comes along as like a senior guy just to advise, like that's fine. But yeah. I want I want the next generation um, to be here. I, I do also wonder, like, obviously, what this does for the number two pick. It's way too early, but you know, is is there kind of a more distinctive plan based off? Well, we want our identity to be a defensive football team. We want our identity to be, hey, I know I'm a defensive head coach, but I would like to be an offensive football team that scores a bunch of points. And, you know, that's kind of how Quinn, you know, was a part of in Atlanta or in, in Dallas, where it's like, we're going to be an offensive team. We're going to score a bunch of points and we're going to build our defense to play with the lead. And obviously, you know, that backfired in a big way against Green Bay, which is the most recent data point down there. Right. But um, they also have won 12 games, what, two, two, three straight years? And Washington hasn't done that since 1991. If we're talking about a failure for not advancing in the playoffs after three straight 12-win seasons in three years, I will be psyched, Mitchell. Psyched. Right. I mean, that's what always gets lost to me on this fan base when, when these things happen is Dan Quinn had went to a Super Bowl. When was the last time the Commanders were in the Super Bowl? When was the last time the Commanders were in the playoffs? You know, like yes, but my point being, it, you know, folks are so concerned about these big successes. There needs to be small successes here first. Let's get back-to-back double-digit win seasons, 
back-to-back playoff appearances, win a playoff game, get to an NFC championship. I mean, it's not going to be as it's not going to be this, you know, this 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 rocket ship that they're going to win a Super Bowl, you know, right away and bringing in people who have been there and done that is is an important part to the whole thing. For sure. I actually wonder too if this is like this is going to make things I don't know. I I don't know how much effect narrative winds up actually having on football teams, but like I'm going to draw a contrast here and whatever that is, that is. Last year, higher EB, people get psyched. Myself included, by the way. Like, I was like, I think this is a Me great too. hire. It didn't work out. Uh, but so they hire EB. We, You can squint and see it with Howell. You're like, I don't know. Like, there's something there. there there's something to be excited about. Maybe they're going to surprise people. Like, they've got these great skill position guys. The lines, you know, they're going to address that. It's going to be better than it was the year before, which it was. It wasn't great, but it wasn't the unfailing disaster that it was two years ago where you couldn't even, like, put a guy, you know, put two guards out there week after week because dudes kept getting yeah. hurt and or were old and completely ineffective. At least they were average this year. Um, so ultimately though, like in the spring, there's kind of this hype train and then you get out to training camp and EB is yelling at people and everyone's like, they're going to be great. And then it's like, Oh, reality check, son of a gun. I actually wonder if, because people see this roster is so barren because Quinn is an uninspiring hire in terms of sexiness that this, this sets the expectations low enough that they can actually overachieve this year. And the pressure is off in a way. And you, what is really year one of a rebuild compared to what it was last year where everyone was under pressure because, you know, it had to go perfect for people to keep their jobs. And, well, um, it, it, it didn't. Well, listen, people were relatively pretty excited about Ron when they hired him. People were excited about... Jay, when they hired him, people were excited about Kyle or uh, Mike when, Shanahan when they hired him. How'd those all work out? You know, it, it hasn't been, a, it hasn't just because the fan base is excited or unexcited about a coach doesn't affect whether they're going to win or lose. I will say that if they don't take a quarterback at two, then I, I, this, this feels like a must take here in this situation. Um, you know, obviously Chase Young felt like a must take four years ago. So, you know, you can maybe you can, I, I would like them to to be a little more creative in terms of the way they approach what they're going to do in that pick. But, you know, you got to plan to not be, to not be a top five worst team in the NFL year after year. And that means you're only going to have so many opportunities to pick high in the draft, which means you got to take advantage of that opportunity when you get it. And, uh, you know, Quinn can want to build out the defense all he wants. As everybody knows, this team has spent, Far, far, far too much draft capital capital on the defensive side of the football the past five years, and you have to start building up that offensive side. And you know, I'm an offensive line guy, and I there's a ton of guys that I want them to go and take both at two and at if they traded back to five, six, seven, eight, whatever it may be. But this is a quarterback situation that you can't pass up, and and you got to work to figure out what you're going to do with the O line after there. You know, almost in almost in the uh, a Bengals type situation where they went out and got Joe Burrow with an atrocious offensive line and then we're able to slowly get better and better each year. And the quarterback helps all that as well, but slowly get better and better each year before you have a, you know, an offensive line that's, that's able to, to protect anybody. 
Yeah, no, I, I'm so intrigued. Um, I just saw a comment. Uh, Donnell says, you know, we need pass rushers. Yeah, they do. Um, but they also have $75 million in, in cap space. So, you know, whatever that number is, you know, practical cap space versus if they decide to cut a couple guys. Like, it's somewhere right. between 63 and $80 million of cap space to spend, let's say. Um, and there is not a lot of edge depth in this draft. So do they, you know, like, can you squeeze New England to to trick them into trading up a spot and getting something else? And, you know, you get to take uh, Jaden Daniels at three instead of two because they love Drake May. And like that, that to me is kind of ideal. Um, I'm also pretty curious to see how the end of the week goes for Bo Nix. Does he wind up being a top 10 pick? And do they like him almost as much as some of the other guys? Like there is so long to go in this draft process, but they have to come out of it in the first two rounds with a quarterback. That is the thing that like I'm willing definitively to say, which I know is unpopular because most people say they have to come out of the first two picks with a quarterback uh, as opposed to the first two rounds. But um, this is a draft that's loaded in the right places for them. They do have five uh, top 100 picks. They do have three top 45 picks. So or whatever the, that Bears pick wound up being. So it, it is something that's going to be fun to watch over the next couple of months. Uh, Mitch and JP will be talking about it on the Beltway Football Podcast. If you are not subscribed, uh, definitely do that. And uh, do you guys throw those episodes up on YouTube somewhere that folks can subscribe since we are doing a YouTube live right now? They are on MonumentalSports.com and the Monumental Sports uh, app. You can get uh, the pods, the shows. You can get everything over there. All right. So on Monumentals platforms uh, and then just search Beltway Football in your favorite podcast app. Uh, of course, we have much more coming on the Hoffman Show on the radio later today. Check out this guest list, Mitchell. We got Kaim on the show. Kaim hey. on the radio. We got that. And um, I can't believe this guy just played second fiddle to John Kime, but he is John Kime. Uh, KJ Wright, former Seahawks linebacker, part of the Legion of Boom defenses back in the day, uh, now doing radio in Seattle. So he's really just a radio guy, except for he's got Super Bowl rings. Uh, KJ Wright's going to join us as well, uh, working on a couple of other things. So we'll see you at 4 o'clock on the Team 980 and, of course, streaming on the Team 980's YouTube channel. Uh, and then Logan and I will do Take Command tomorrow morning when he returns from the Senior Bowl. So uh, thanks for checking out the YouTube live. Uh, make sure you're subscribed if you're just finding the channel now. Great spot here for all your Commander's news. And uh, we will see you next time here on YouTube.